interesting enough. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Ruth, chapters 2 and 4. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, go my daughter, so she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, to whom does this young woman belong? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came, and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now, without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me when I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you with your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, that God, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, even though I am not one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of this bread and dip your morsel in a sour wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he heaped up for her some parched grain. She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she got up to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, Let her glean even among the standing sheaves, and do not reproach her. You must also pull out some handfuls for her from the bundles and leave them for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She picked it up, came into the town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gleaned. Then she took out and gave her what was left over, and she herself had been satisfied. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, 
then that man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, but it, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me so that I may know, for, the, for there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one party took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Mahon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Mahon, and to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God in us. Thanks be to God. Will you turn now to uh, hymn number 206, Seek the Peace of the City.
It will surprise no one, I'm sure, to learn that, like Dustin, Ruth is one of my favorite books of the Bible. After all, Ruth is one of the few books of the Bible that is named after and features a woman and women. Uh, It was the book that many of us uh, who have studied Hebrew in seminary used as one of our first things to study because it has so many feminine uh, verb endings and uh, parts of speech. So you get to see like the full breadth of the way Hebrew is used in the ancient text. And of course, it's about a relationship between two women, this like, this bond of love between these two women who make chosen family with each other. And they make a way for themselves while supporting each other. So of course, I love the book of Ruth, except I'm not going to be talking about those women this morning. (laughs) Instead, I will be talking about the primary non-female character in the book of Ruth, Boaz, Bible's best boy. (laughs) Uh, Best, he's the best man, really, but I like alliteration, so. Uh, Boaz is so good. Honestly, he's a little boring. Uh, several years in a row, for the past several years, I have drawn the preach on David straw in the narrative lectionary. Um, and I have never loved preaching about David. I dislike David as a character, but he's not boring. He's not boring. So now what do we do with David's ancestor, the Bible's best boy? He is really just a stand-up dude. He, I, I'm a kid a little bit about his boringness, but he does seem like the kind of person that you, he's pretty great. You want to have him in your community as a friend. You want to have this person in your life. Uh, the Bible says, um, uh, talks about him as a man of worth, which I, uh, Dustin actually set, read the words, I think what you said was prominent rich man. But my translation says he was, he was rich. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But he was worthy. He was just a person of value and like strength, a good, a mensch. And he was rich though. Uh, We see that in all kinds of ways, both because he's described that way, but also because we see his land holdings. We see that he has many servants, uh, a big household. He, he would have had, because of this, lots of power and influence in the community. We, he can just call together 10 elders of the city at the drop of a hat to do a deal. He is, in spite of his wealth and power, I mean, maybe because, but it seems to me in spite of his wealth and power, he was also both, he was respected by his workers. And probably because he is respectful to his workers. He greets them with blessing. May the Lord be with you. And they say back, may the Lord bless you. This could be like a rote greeting, of course, like in Arabic, you say, salamu alaikum, alaikum salam, may peace be upon you and upon you peace. This is how, like, we have these sort of back and forths. But I think the storyteller recorded that because they want us to know this is a man of worth who is respected and respectful. He's respected in all spheres, not just among the rich and wealthy of the city. He joins his workers on the threshing floor. We don't read that piece of the story today. We'll get it next week. But he joins his workers working, doing that hard work of beating the chaff from the wheat to collect the harvest. So this beautiful and virtuous picture of Boaz, Bible's best boy, 
is in part, I think, why I have tended to think of the book of Ruth as a love story, a romance. It's sort of how it's told, and in fact, um, it's, I mean, that's kind of how we spin it, particularly, I think, in like children's Bibles, because that's a simple way of telling the story. And Megan did, has done an excellent, excellent job while we were dwelling in the Song of Songs on extolling the virtues of romance literature. I'm with her. I too have read many a romance novel in my day in these past three years and before. And in fact, I wanted to put a plug in for Alicia Rye, the novelist Alicia Rye and her modern love series. I really enjoyed that one. I love a romance. And that is probably why I have wanted to read this book as a romance, as a love story between Boaz where he is Prince Charming and he sweeps the ingenue Ruth off of her feet. It's not. This is not that. For one thing, Ruth is not an ingenue. She is a widow, so she's been around. And, but Boaz is that man of worth. He's not Prince Charming, and this is not a romance novel. But Boaz's stature, his stature highlights just how unjust, what a story of injustice, actually, this story is. His stature highlights all of the ways that Ruth lacks all of those things that he has. She doesn't have money or status or land. She doesn't have respect or connections or belonging. She is forced to depend on an Israelite convention and custom that allows foreigners to pick up the leftovers, to glean in the fields, to work hard to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. Now, she seems to be respected for that hard work that she's done, that she's putting in, but she is constantly reminded that she is a foreigner, that she does not belong there. When Boaz, Boaz asks after her, his worker responds to her, not by name, but that Moabite woman from Moab. I just rewatched that classic film, Clueless, starting, starring Alicia Silverstone. And there is a scene in Clueless where Alicia Silverstone's character, Cher, says to her stepbrother, played by Paul Rudd, speaking of a good guy, good guy of cinema, she says to him, you talk to her. You know I don't speak Mexican. And he looks at her in disbelief and disgust, and he says something like, first, Mexican is not a language, and second, she's from El Salvador. And Cher looks at him kind of quizzically, and he's like, it's a whole different country. Ruth's foreignness is foreignness that is completely different, and in Judah, they don't speak Moab. I actually looked it up <laughs> because they do speak a dialect of the same language, but uh, they don't speak that language. In any case, throughout all of the books, she's always, through all the books, she's always just attached to Moab. She can't leave that identity behind. It's as if you would refer to me every time you talked of me as Amy, the Canadian from Canada. Except, I like to think Canada has a kind of cachet that many other places in the world do not have. Canada is not one of those blank hole countries. 
Moabite women are looked down on. They are thought of as not very smart, poor, sexually promiscuous. Next week, we'll hear the part of the story where Ruth is sort of forced to, but makes a choice to lean into that part of her, of the expectations about her. Uh, but even before then, she hints at, to Boaz in verse 10 from what Dustin read. Uh, he says, maybe I can take, may, like, may God bless you. May God, may you, you fall under God's wing. He offers that sort of kind blessing. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek, seek refuge. And her response to him is, I think, kind of a wink and a suggestion. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, sir, because you've comforted me, because you've spoken kindly to your female servant, even though I'm not one of your servants. And basically she's saying, well, I don't know about God's wings, buddy, but your wings look pretty good. I'm not your servant now, but I could be. This is transactional on Ruth's part. This is not romance. It's about provision, attaching herself to a powerful person who also happens to be kind and respectful. She needs protection and care, and in the context of early Israel, there was literally no other way for her to achieve that than to find a husband. She was property, and she was looking for ownership. Many women, as I'm sure y'all know, find this still to be true. And not just in cultures where patriarchy is legalized and enshrined, where women ha can't drive or have to uh, go with a brother or husband before they go shopping. I'm thinking of women who live here in Seattle, women who live outside on the street and who attach themselves to men so that they can have a tent to sleep in, so that they won't be harassed and abused by other men on the street. This is the experience of many women and femmes who are unhoused. This is not the story of romance. It is a story of strategy and survival. And to his credit, Bible's best boy, Boaz does offer Ruth a place at his table in the circle of the servants in his household. He shares a meal with her, offers extra grain. He has the, the workers accidentally drop a little extra so she can take it home to, to Naomi. Ruth is a foreigner, but he treats her with dignity. Even when we come to the part of the story, which we will next week, when she puts her own dignity at risk by offering herself to him, he doesn't take her up on the offer. He continues to her, ensure her safety, even in the dark of the threshing floor, just as he had in the daylight of the open fields when he orders his young men to leave her alone. Don't harass her. He sh he's one of those guys that shuts down the locker room talk. And in the end, all of the other ways that Boaz uses his power and influence and his privilege brings others along with him. Are what those are the things that what are what actually make him worthy, what make him the best man in the Bible. Ruth is a foreigner. She is a widow. She's a person with no status, but he treats her with dignity, and he invites others to treat her with dignity, too. And then he stands at the gates of his town. I mean, first he does a deal. He makes, he negotiates with this other person. He does a deal with the, with the, the leaders in the town, and then he stands at the gate 
and he proclaims the way she is, he is bringing her into community, blessing her. And the community responds with blessing, uh, which I thought we were going to hear this morning, so I'm going to read. So he proclaims his intention to bring her into his family. And then, he, and then the, the community responds. All the people were at the gate, and along with the elders, they say, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May your children produce in Ephrathah and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through you, the children that the Lord will give you by this woman, may they be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. So they are, they are comparing her to the mothers of their community. Boaz, now just to note about what the legal thing that is happening here, because Boaz is referred to in a couple of different ways in different translations, either as redeemer or as next of kin, those are the two that we both most often hear. But really, it's kind of a marriage of both of those. He is their next of kin, and that comes with legal stuff. He is also redeemer, which has both the saving meaning, but also the like purchasing, buying meaning. Hey, Ori, I need you to keep it down, buddy. Thank you. So they have both of those meanings. This is a legal designation that gives the next kindred of a man who dies that man's land, a right to that man's land, and the responsibility to continue his lineage if the man dies without any heirs or sons. Sons equals heirs. Uh, and so Boaz is taking on that mantle of responsibility. He says to the, his community, today you are witnesses, I have bought from the hand of Naomi and all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. And also Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malon, I have brought, bought to be my wife and preserve the dead man's name. Now I will not lie. I do not like hearing bought. I do not like hearing purchase. It's acquire. It's pronounced all different ways. They all mean the same thing an acquisition of property. I don't like it. He's doing a deal. He's negotiating a purchase. It is jarring. But what he is offering is legitimacy. This is a green card marriage. Joe sometimes jokes that I have a green card marriage and that these are my anchor babies. But like, this is for real. They are doing, they are having a negotiation. He is offering her legitimacy, a passport for this community. Legally, according to their custom, he is bringing her into family and into legitimacy in that nation. And that community blesses it. He's brought them along with them. This is the closest thing we have to a marriage, like an actual marriage ceremony in the Bible, where there is a ceremony and a rite, and they officially become family to each other. And this is, that's the whole reason this story is in the Bible, is for that marriage of this family, so that when they have the child, he becomes heir, he becomes the forebear of David, that complicated king. If only David could have lived up to the legacy of his ancestor. 
his great-grandfather, if only he could have treated women with the respect and dignity that Boaz has. So I do like to dig into those more complicated characters of scripture, but I am grateful, (laughs) grateful that we have people of worth, that we have witnesses like Boaz in scripture to provide a model for what being worthy looks like, for what it means to use our privilege and our positionality. This word we used a few years ago, uh, learned a few years ago in our our work against racism, to use our positionality and privilege to bring others along with us, to create justice, to treat people with humanity and dignity, to offer a place for newcomers and make them feel at home, to provide for those who are hungry, to work within our systems and advocate ways of welcome. May we all be like the Bible's best man.